Recently, I have been watching the Netflix sports documentary series called Last Chance You Basketball. And uh, this series tells the story of a community college basketball team from East Los Angeles, California. And most of the players on this team are coming from very difficult life circumstances. Uh, for many of them, basketball is kind of just the one thing that provides a possible path forward for them in their lives. And the heart of this series, though, is the coach, the coach of this team, whose name is John Mosley. And uh, John Mosley actually went to this same community college when he was a kid, uh, when, when he was the age of, of the, the players that he's working with. And it is really powerful in this series to watch Coach Mosley coach his team. Um, he, on the one hand, pushes them with this intensity and this persistence and, and just never gives up on his players. And at the same time, you can just sense this deep sense of love and compassion and empathy that he feels for his players. So on the one hand, he's, he's pushing them to win the state championship in this series. But at the same time, there's this deeper passion that he has to shape the lives of his players, to help them move forward in their lives, realizing that community college basketball is not going to be the end of the story for these kids, but he's hoping that it's going to be a part of that story of, of moving them forward. Well, in today's text um, of the sermon series that we are, we're looking through um, on Jonah, Jonah, the runaway prophet, we are going to see how God shows a similar heart that we see in Coach Mosley. On the one hand, we see in God a, a drive and a persistence, and at the same time, there is this deep compassion and love that he, that he shows. And we're going to see how he shows that to both Jonah, but also to the city of Nineveh. And so my sermon title today is God's Persistent Compassion. We're going to look at how God shows this persistent compassion to both Jonah and to Nineveh, and how he also shows the same heart to you and me, to us as well. So our text today is Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to read the, the whole chapter, uh, chapter 3. And if you've been following along in this series, you know that um, this follows directly after the end of chapter 2, where Jonah had been in the fish. We heard it in the scripture reading earlier about Jonah being in the fish three days and three nights, and then the, the fish spits him out onto dry ground. And so this is exactly what happens right after Jonah comes out of the whale. So hear God's word to us today from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. 
by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this amazing account of, of the work that you did in the city of Nineveh so many years ago. We pray that as we, as we read and, and study and dig into this passage, that you would give us a greater glimpse again of your heart, your, your heart of persistent compassion that you had for Jonah, you had for Nineveh, and that you have for us as well. So open our ears now, Lord. Speak, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to look just at, at two things in our passage on the one hand, God's persistent compassion for Jonah, and then God's persistent compassion for Nineveh. And in, in each one of those, we're going to look at how God shows that same compassion to us. So let's start with God's persistent compassion to Jonah. Going back to the beginning of the series, right, we, at the very beginning of the book of Jonah, we saw that God gives this call to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh. But we saw that what did Jonah do? He ran the other way, right? He didn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he got onto a ship and he went the exact opposite direction. And what did God do? He sends the storm to stop Jonah in his tracks, to stop him from running. And through the sailors of the ship, God confronts Jonah with his rebellion. And, and Jonah gets to this place where he acknowledges that the reason for the storm is him. It's his running from God. And so he tells the sailors, throw me into the sea, and the, the, the storm will calm down. The sailors are reluctant to do this, but they finally do. They throw him into the sea. The, sea, the storm calms down. And, and what happens to Jonah? Jonah begins to sink into the waves. And last week we saw that what happened when Jonah was deep in the water, sinking to the bottom of the sea, that he cried out to the Lord for help, for mercy. And what did God do? He showed him mercy. He sent a fish to swallow up Jonah, to save him, to rescue him. And after three days and three nights, the fish spits him out into dry land. Now at this point, it's very possible that God could have said to Jonah, all right, Jonah, I hope you've learned a lesson here. Don't run away from me. And, and when you do, I'm going to be merciful to you. So go ahead back to Israel. Tell the people about my mercy. Tell them about what I've done for you. And, uh, but you know what, Jonah? You rejected me. You ran away from me. And, and so actually, I, I, I'm going to forgive you, but, but, but I'm going to give this, this, this call to Nineveh to, to someone else to a different prophet. But that's not what God does. He doesn't send him back to Israel. He doesn't say, Jonah, nice try, but I'm going to go with someone else. But no, instead, 
God shows persistent compassion to Jonah by giving Jonah a second chance. He gives Jonah a second chance. God isn't done with Jonah. He's persistent. He says, Jonah, I'm not done with you. I'm calling you to go to Nineveh again. And that's exactly what happens in verse 1 and 2 of our text. As the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. God starts the call off exactly the same as how he did in chapter 1. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And so here God is giving Jonah a second chance to obey his call. How is Jonah going to respond this time? God loves to do this. He loves to give people second chances. We see this in the New Testament where the apostle Peter you know, on the night before Jesus went to the cross, they're sitting around the table and, and Jesus tells his disciples that they're all going to abandon him. And Peter says, no way, Lord. Everybody else might abandon you, but I will never turn my back on you. And Jesus says, says to Peter, Peter, later tonight, you're going to deny me three times that you even know me. Peter says, never, never, Lord. And what happens later that night? Peter denies Jesus, denies that he even knows him. And Peter, when he recognizes what, what he's done, he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He's failed God, right? Just like Jonah, he, he's, he's rebelled against Jesus. But what does Jesus do to Peter? After Jesus rises from the dead, he has this personal encounter with Peter. He could have looked at Peter and said, Peter, you know, you abandoned me. In my hour of need, and you deny that you even knew me. And so, so I, I'm going to forgive you, but I really need a disciple who's going to obey me the first time. And so I'm sorry, Peter, but hit the road. I'm going with someone else to lead my church. No, but what, is, what does Jesus do with Peter? He says, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, take care of my lambs. Peter, feed my flock. Right? He's, he calls Peter. He gives him a second chance. Right? He says, Peter, I want you, you who denied me, you who failed me, I want you to be the one who's going to shepherd my flock. When we fail, when we run away from God's call in our lives, when we fall into sin, when we respond with fear instead of faith, that isn't the end for us. Because God loves to give second chances and third chances and fourth chances and on and on and on. God is persistent in his compassion for us, in his mercy toward us. Just like he was for Jonah, just like he did for Peter, he is patient. He is merciful. In that series that I talked about earlier, Last Chance You, um, basketball, Coach Mosley, one of the things about this coach is that he also loves to give his players second chances. He's taking, he's taking kids in, on, on who, who have failed, who have bombed in their lives in different ways, and he gives them a second chance. We see this in particular in one of the, the players on his team that you see in the series. His name is Joe Hampton. Um, Joe was a a top-ranked high school basketball player 
in the country, one of the, one of the very top in all the country in high, in high school. And then he goes to Penn State, which is a Division I basketball program, right? So he's, he, his, his future's looking bright, filled with promise, but what happens in his freshman year, he gets injured, and he's out. And Joe just spirals down because of this. He starts using drugs. He starts overeating. He just kind of falls into this deep depression. And, and eventually, you know, he, he, get, he actually gets suspended from school because of all of this. And so he moves to California, to Los Angeles. But when he gets to L.A., he gets in with a bad crowd, and he gets arrested twice. And he doesn't show up to his court dates either time. And, and Joe is, you know, he's spiraling, but, but eventually he gets to this point where he, he says, I want to try to turn things around in my life. And so he's heard about this coach, this coach at East LA City College. And he decides that he's going to call out to reach out to Coach Mosley to see if maybe Coach Mosley might give him a shot and, and, and if he could try out for the team. So Coach Mosley gives him the information and says, sure, come on in. You know, we'd love to, to have you try out. Just before the season starts, Joe is driving along. He gets pulled over for a busted headlight. And the police officer sees he's got two warrants out for his arrest because he didn't show up to court. And so Joe gets arrested, brought to jail. Now he's stuck. He's stuck in jail. Joe reaches out to his coach, Coach Mosley. What does Coach Mosley do? He gives him a second chance. Coach Mosley writes this letter to the judge, telling him, he, this is this kid, and he's made some mistakes. You know, he, Joe acknowledged that, too, to Coach Mosley. He writes a letter, says, give him some leniency. He's going he's gonna to work with me in my program, and we'll see what happens. And the judge gives him a second chance. Joe gets released from jail. He starts going to school. He's on the team. And in this documentary, Joe says this about Coach Mosley. He says, he never turned his back on me. Without him, I wouldn't be here today at all. I'm not supposed to be here. Coach Mosley told me there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So I started working towards that light. Coach Mosley gave Joe Hampton a second chance. And that second chance began to transform Joe in his life. God gave Jonah a second chance, and it started to change Jonah too. We're going to get to that in a minute, but before we talk about how Jonah responded, I want to look at one other element of God's persistent compassion for Jonah that we see in the fact that God calls him this second time to go to Nineveh, and that is that God also continues to pursue Jonah's heart. So he shows this compassion by just giving Jonah a second chance, right? He could have just said, Jonah, you're done. I'm through with you. But another element of why God pursues Jonah here is that he's wanting to pursue Jonah's heart. He's wanting to do something in Jonah. I, I mentioned this in the very first message of this series, that one of the reasons that God originally called Jonah to go to Nineveh Partially what that was all about is that God knew what's in Jonah's heart. That God knew that Jonah didn't love the Ninevites. That, God, that Jonah didn't have any compassion. We're going to see that next week in chapter 4. 
that comes out very clearly that Jonah has no love for these people. And so part of the reason that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh is that he wants to change that in Jonah. He wants to actually confront Jonah with his heart, with his lack of compassion and love, because he wants to change him. And so after Jonah goes through this whole ordeal with the storm and the fish, and he gets spit out, God shows persistent compassion to Jonah by saying, Jonah, I'm going to keep pursuing you in this area, in the fact that you don't love the Ninevites. And so I'm not letting you off the hook, Jonah. I'm calling you to go to Nineveh because I have something that I want to do in your heart while you're in Nineveh. Jonah probably would have been very happy if God had just told him to go back to Israel after getting spit out of the fish, right? You can imagine that, right? Jonah would have been like, hey, that's great. I don't have to go to those horrible pagans in Nineveh. I don't want to go to them. Jonah would have been happy to just go back with a great story to tell, you know, about how God had been merciful to him. He'd been brought him through the storm. He'd, he'd been saved through this fish and And Jonah would have been happy if that had been the end of the story. But God had more work to do in Jonah's life. He wanted to use Jonah to actually reach Nineveh, which is what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But also God had something for Jonah in bringing him to Nineveh. There are times in our lives where God wants to work a deep work in our hearts. Where he wants to root out pride. There's a lot of pride in Jonah, right? There's a lot of arrogance, a lot of self-centeredness, a lot of of judgmentalism towards these other people. And there are times where God wants to do something similar to us. He wants to root out that pride. He wants to root out that that judgmentalism. He, He wants to confront us with an idol that's deep in our hearts. He maybe wants to expose our prejudice And often we would much rather just ignore all of that and go on with our our lives and just want to have a nice, comfortable life. But you know what? God loves us too much for that. He loves us too much to just leave us stuck in our prejudice and our pride and and our, our idols. No, he wants to rescue us from those things. And so he shows us persistent compassion by sometimes bringing us into a situation that actually exposes our prejudice, that exposes our pride, that exposes our need for him because he wants to change us. In C.S. Lewis's children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's a character named Eustace Scrub. It's a great name, right? Eustace Scrub. And, and, And he first appears in the book The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And Eustace is a kid who, at the beginning of of the book, he's kind of this brat. He's self-centered, he's arrogant, he's mean, he's just kind of a jerk of a kid. And so one night, uh, uh, while he's along along the way, Eustace finds this, this pile of treasure in a cave. And he's excited about this, right? He finds this treasure, he he dreams about all that he could do with this amazing treasure. And so he lays down and goes to sleep. On this treasure. Well, when he wakes up in the morning, he discovers to his horror that he has turned into a dragon. (laughs) He's turned into a dragon while he's been sleeping. And, And Lewis writes this he says, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, 
he had become a dragon himself. Obviously, Lewis is talking about something deeper than just the children's story, right? That he's saying something here about what can happen to our own hearts. Right? When we begin thinking these dragonish, prideful, greedy thoughts, we actually become, become a dragon. And Eustace, as, as he becomes this dragon, he, he starts to actually recognize some of the dragonish parts of him, his pride, his arrogance, and he gets to a point where he just longs to be a boy again. And so one night, Eustace the dragon, after he's kind of defeated and, and he can't figure out how he can get back to being a boy, all of a sudden he meets a lion. And this lion comes to him and challenges him to undress, to try to take off his dragon skin. And so Eustace the dragon decides to start doing this. He, he, he peels out himself. He's trying to, to, to take off the dragon scales. And he, he peels one full layer off. But what happens Underneath is another dragon skin. And he does it again. He, he digs at himself. He's trying to peel off the dragon, but there's another dragon skin. He can't change himself. And so the lion looks at him and says, Eustace, you have to let me undress you. And so Eustace the, the dragon lays down and he allows the lion to tear into his back with his claws. And Eustace is afraid of this. He doesn't want to experience the pain of what this lion is going to do to him, but he knows that that's his only hope. And Eustace in the book says this. He says, the, first, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. But in the end, Eustace stands up and he sees this dragon skin lying on the ground and he realizes he's a boy again, that the lion has rescued him. And this experience changes him. For the rest of the book, Eustace is no longer a brat. He's no longer filled with pride and, and self-centeredness. No, he this experience has changed him dramatically. And if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, you know that that lion, his name is Aslan. And in the series, Aslan represents Jesus. And there's a lot of truth in what Aslan does for Eustace here. Because this is exactly what Jesus wants to do for us. Sometimes he confronts us with the ways that we are being very dragonish. Jonah was being very dragonish in his heart. And he brings us to the place where we have to recognize that we can't take off the dragon skin ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't change ourselves. And our only hope is for Aslan, for the lion, for Jesus Christ to take it off of us. But sometimes the way that he does that is painful. It cuts hard, even to our hearts. There are times that God's transforming work of wanting to, to transform us out of that dragonish parts is painful. And yet at the end of the day, when he does it, we're a boy again. He's, he's changed us. He's transformed us. This is God's persistent compassion to us. 
that he won't leave us like dragons, that he wants to change us, and he's going to do everything he can, even through painful, challenging circumstances. He calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, to go to that city that he doesn't want to go to, because he wants to do the painful work of changing Jonah's heart. And so what happens when God calls Jonah the second time? He goes. He obeys the Lord. Now, it's not clear from the text whether this is the first sign of maybe God beginning to transform Jonah's heart. Is, is it possible that Jonah experienced this mercy in the fish and, and he gets to this place where he says, you know what, I'm actually going to go, Lord. I'm going to obey you. Or if it's more that Jonah's like, I don't want to get hit by another storm, so I'm going to go to Nineveh. <laughs> we don't know exactly what's going on in Jonah's heart in this moment. But either way, he goes. He obeys God, and he goes to Nineveh. And this, at this point, is where we're going to shift to this other focus of today, which is looking at now God's persistent compassion for Nineveh. Because the reason, part of the other reason that God brings Jonah to Nineveh is that he doesn't only care about Jonah, but he actually cares about Nineveh too. And the first way that he shows persistent compassion for Nineveh is by sending Jonah to them. Because what does Jonah give? Through Jonah, God warns Nineveh about the consequences of their sin. This is the first way that he shows compassion to Nineveh is by warning them about the consequences of their sin. You see, God could have just wiped out Nineveh, right? They'd been wicked. We talked about this, that first message, that, that they, were, they, were, they were horribly evil. They, 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 were, they tortured people. They, were, they, they you know, ransacked nations, and, and, and they were violent. It talks about that early, later in the text about their violent and evil ways. They were not good people, and God could have just said, I'm through with you, Nineveh. I'm wiping you out. But God had compassion for Nineveh. He didn't want to destroy them. And so he sends Jonah to warn them, to warn them about the path that they're on. And so he tells Jonah, again, that, in that first call, he says, proclaim to it the message I give you. God is going to provide the message. This isn't Jonah's message. This is God's message through Jonah. And so Jonah makes his way into the city, and what does he cry out? Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. Not the greatest gospel presentation, is it? <laughs> this doesn't sound like a message of compassion. It sounds like a message of just judgment. But if you look more closely at what Jonah actually says here, you actually see God's compassion in this message. Because first of all, Jonah says, it's going to happen in 40 days. He doesn't say, I'm going to destroy Jonah tomorrow. I mean, destroy Nineveh tomorrow. Because I'm giving you 40 days. And if you know anything in, in the Bible, the number 40 has, has great significance in the Bible. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was in the desert being tempted by the devil for 40 days. There are many other 40 moments. And, and the number 40 often in the Bible represents a time of testing, a time of waiting, a time of preparation. And so God is saying, Nineveh, I'm giving you 40 days. 
where I'm testing you. I'm going to give you a time where I'm going to be waiting to see how you're going to respond. And, and the word that, that, that God gives Jonah to say here, Nineveh will be overturned. The Hebrew word that is actually used there has two meanings. On the one hand, it can mean overturned in the sense of being destroyed and overthrown, which is what Jonah's warning them about, right? That this is the consequence that you're going to get if you don't repent, right? Is Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But the same Hebrew word can also mean to turn around or have a change of heart. And so what Jonah is saying here is in four, that 40 more days, Nineveh is either going to be overturned in the sense of being destroyed or it's going to be overturned in the sense of people's minds being changed and it doing a 180 and, and, and actually being transformed. So what's it going to be, Nineveh? This is, the, this is the response that God kind of gives to Nineveh, and it shows God's persistent compassion for Nineveh that he gives them the opportunity to repent, that he gives them the opportunity to be saved. Imagine for a moment that you're working in an office building and you're walking down the, the hall and you all of a sudden see a room on your floor that is on fire. You see a room in your building that, that is just, it's blazing. Now in that moment, if you saw that room that's on fire, what would be the compassionate thing to do for your coworkers? To just pretend that the fire is not there and not want to interrupt them from their work? No, of course not. The compassionate thing to do when you see a, a, a room that's on fire in the building is to go and, and yell at them, there's a fire, we're all in danger, get out of here. You're gonna pull them up from their seats and make sure that everybody gets out of that building alive. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world that is on fire. We're in danger. Our sin, the consequences of our sin is, is destruction, is death, is judgment. And I, and I think there are times where we and the church are hesitant to talk about that, to talk about the danger that we're in, the, the danger that the world is in. And we think that the compassionate thing to do is just to kind of pretend that, that there's no problem. We don't want to upset anybody. But the reality is that God wants us to warn people about the reality of our situation. If we are left to ourselves, our sin will lead to judgment. It will lead to eternal death what the Bible talks about as the eternal fire of hell. And apart from Jesus, all of humanity is in grave danger. We're in a burning building. And so it is an act of compassion, persistent compassion for God to warn us of this danger and also for God to warn the world. And, and maybe you're listening to this even today, and, and you're like, I, I don't know about any danger that, that I'm in. Hear God's word to, to you today that, 
that he wants to rescue you and, and that apart from him, we're in trouble. And God may want to use some of us to be the ones to bring that message to others, just like he used Jonah to bring that message to Nineveh. Either way, know that God's warning, God warning us of the consequences of our sin, it is compassion. It's persistent compassion when he does that for us. So what happens after Jonah preaches this warning to Nineveh? Oh, man. It's amazing, isn't it? Did you hear that passage? In verse 5, it tells us the Ninevites believed God. They believed the message. Even this, this you know, this message that, that seems like it's just this doom and gloom, somehow God uses this message, this word, to change their hearts, and they, and they believe it. They believe God. They hear Jonah's warning. It is only God's power that could have accomplished that in the, in the city of Nineveh. This is not Jonah's doing. This is not anything about it. It is an act of God. God works through his word to bring us to repentance. And, and, and it results in, in an impact in their lives. This is the, the, ver, the same verse goes on to say, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Fasting and sackcloth were signs of repentance, were signs of, of being sad and grieving your sin. And it says that everyone did this, from the greatest to the least. And news of this reaches the king of Nineveh, and he does the same thing. He takes off his royal robes and he puts on sackcloth and he sits in the dust and he issues the, this decree to the whole city that everyone should fast. Everyone should wear sackcloth. And he even includes the animals, which, which actually it's really interesting. The ancient historian Herodotus actually talks about how this happened in the ancient days where they would actually have animals wearing sackcloth too. So, so this wasn't unheard of. And the king issues this edict where he tells the people, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The king of Nineveh tells everyone, Call on God. Call on him. Who knows, maybe this God that Jonah is proclaiming, maybe he'll be compassionate to us too. What does this king of Nineveh do? He does exactly the same thing that Jonah and the sailors did on the ship, where they call out for mercy. God, save us from the storm. They do exactly the same thing that Jonah did as he was sinking down into the water. He says, Lord, help me. I have no way to save myself. The Ninevites in this moment, they do the same thing. They acknowledge that they are lost themselves and they cry out for God's compassion and for God's mercy. And what happens? God shows mercy. The last Example of God's persistent compassion. The, the second one here in, God, in, in Nineveh is this, that God mercifully spares Nineveh from the consequences of their sin. 
God responds to the Ninevites' repentance and faith by showing mercy to them. The last verse of our, of our text reads, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. There's some commentators that the debate about how, how authentic this repentance was in Nineveh. Or was it, was it, a, was it a saving faith? Or did they actually call out to the, to the God? They, they call it to God. It doesn't, doesn't use the name Yahweh, the Lord. We don't know the, the, the extent of all of this, but the reality is that God sees what happens there in Nineveh, and what does he do? He has mercy on them. He shows them compassion. And this didn't surprise God. In fact, this is the whole reason he sent Jonah, because he wanted to show them compassion. At the very end of the book of Jonah, we're going to see this in a couple weeks, God says this to Jonah. In the end of chapter 4, he asks this question. He says, should I not be concerned about that great city? Shouldn't I care about them, Jonah? Should I not be concerned with this great city of Brooklyn, this great city of New York? Should I not care about all the people who are lost around us? God was concerned about Nineveh. He is concerned about our world today. And that's why he sent Jonah. And that's why he sends us. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not delight in punishing wrongdoers. He delights in showing mercy to wrongdoers. And he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to be saved. And the way that he wants to accomplish that, guess what? It's through you and me. As he sends us out with his word to pro proclaim the law, what we deserve from our sin, but then to proclaim the gospel, that our God is compassionate. In that scripture reading that, that Patty read from Matthew 12, Jesus speaks about the sign of Jonah, and he talks about it in terms of his own death and resurrection, that just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, that he's going to be in the, the ground for three days. And the reason that Jesus went into the ground for three days, it was to show compassion, persistent compassion to people like the Ninevites, to people like Jonah, a runaway prophet, and to people like you and me, and to people like everyone around us in our city. This morning, we have the opportunity to come to the Lord's table to communion. And we are invited, as we come to communion today, to come with the attitude of the Ninevites, to acknowledge our sin, to grieve over it, to put on metaphorical sackcloth and ashes and say, Lord, we have sinned against you. We have not followed your command. We have rebelled against you. We have turned our own way. We so often are more self-centered and we're dragonish. And guess what? When we come to the Lord's table, we repent of it, we turn from it, 
we call out to the Lord for mercy, and what do we find at the Lord's table? We find Jesus saying to us, this is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. I've done it all. I've shown you persistent compassion. He showed it to us when he went to the cross so that we too can be mercifully spared from what we deserve. And before we go to communion, we're going to sing a song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I want to invite you as we sing that song to, to do that, to, to turn your eyes to him, the one who showed ultimate persistent compassion to you and to me. In the words of that song, he invites us to look full in his wonderful face. And when we look at his face, we don't see a look of judgment, a look of condemnation. We see eyes of compassion, eyes of mercy, eyes that want to transform our hearts just as he wanted to transform Jonas. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you are persistent in your mercy to us. You didn't give up on Jonah. You didn't give up on Nineveh. And you don't give up on us. Help us to receive your mercy, to turn, to grieve, to repent, and to hear your good news words that, that you proclaim to Nineveh too, that you are compassionate and that you will not give us what we deserve, but that you will rescue us and save us and transform us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.